I, I just respect you so much for like one for the strength and the courage that you've had to do everything you've done, make all the hard decisions for telling your story, which I heard first on the Not So Molly Mormon podcast and was like, oh, I love him so much. You've had your own. And I uh, I just think you're such a such a good person. I actually wrote you a review and the title of the review was The Friend That We All Need. And oh. I feel like that's, that's true. You're an amazing, wonderful, genuine, authentic person. And you're doing good things by putting this out there. Mormon story. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Well, we all, we all have a story, right? I, so I've never actually told it publicly. Mm-hmm. And, and just to give some general background, or I guess more of that will be revealed as I tell my story, but I'm kind of revisiting all of this 15 years after the fact, you know, so I'll go back and tell my story. I was, you know, in my twenties and then I kind of just like, put it all away. I put it in the box. I had no Exmo community whatsoever. And it's been only recently that I'm diving back into all of this and examining it. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of like exciting slash weird that I'm telling a story that happened 15 years ago for the first time. So anyways, (laughs) so I, I grew up Mormon, was born in the covenant and, uh, super, super Mormon parents, super Mormon family. I, yeah, we'll, we'll fast forward to BYU. Uh, well, there was, so there was a brief stint at BYU-Idaho. I did two years there. Uh-huh. Then I transferred over to BYU-Provo, as, as you do. Some people. <laughs> like, I know when, when I was there, there were a lot of people that it was like a transitional school. Like they, they didn't get accepted to BYU, so they went to BYU-Idaho, and then they, and then they worked on their credits or whatever, and then they got and into BYU Provo. So. Exactly. Um, although I will say I had more fun at BYU Idaho. So. Oh yeah. Also pre-faith crisis, so I guess that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so um, so I was at BYU. I was yeah, I would say I was all the typical Mormon things. Like I tried very very hard to be a good Mormon. Like as I'm stepping back and examining it. It was probably less so like true deep down knowing and testimony versus wanting to be seen as good. And in my family, my community, my whole world, that's what being good was. So I tried super hard. I was like a total Molly Mormon seminary, reading my scriptures, all the things. Um, However, there were things about me that I always knew were different and didn't quite fit with everybody. Um, so even though I, I identify as a straight cisgender woman, I never understood and always pushed back against this idea that being queer was not okay. 
and was not in alignment. I have a, a cousin who I think I was like a teenager when she sort of, I don't think she even officially came out with our family, but it just became known. And the things that would be said about her for being gay, I just, even though I wanted to be good and I was a smelly Mormon, I always was like, no, that does not feel right to me. I have zero issues with this. I don't understand why Heavenly Father, Jesus, any of you all would care. So there, there was always that. And then I, I have a very vivid memory. Like, ugh, it, it probably hits harder now because of being an ex-Mormon. But I have this very vivid memory of a Thanksgiving at my grandparents' house. They lived in St. George, Utah. And I was probably like 14, 15. I remember as like dinner is being prepared and like all the good smells of the food. And I was just kind of like, sitting in the living room and I'm looking outside and there's a, a man sitting on his front porch on the house across the street from us. And he's just by himself. And I noticed that he'd been sitting there for like hours in the cold in Utah in November and just like clearly looking so sad. And so I asked my grandma, I'm like, uh, who's, who's your neighbor? Can we like invite him over? It seems like he's by himself. And she said something to the effect of like, Oh, that, oh, that's so-and-so. No, he, he left the church. That's why he's alone. He left the church. And so his wife took their kids and she's doing Thanksgiving with her family. And like, essentially he deserves to be alone and sad. Oh, wow. And I remember that moment so clearly that was like so much cognitive dissonance slash violation of my core beliefs. And I just remember trying to push back and saying like I don't I don't think he should have to be alone like are you so you won't allow me to invite him and it was like no it was like nope we're not going to talk to him he deserves that misery Ugh, and it just it did not sit well with me you know little did I know at that point like would never have guessed one day I'm going to be an ex-Mormon and I have since spent holidays by myself like knowing exactly what that how that maybe not exactly, but going through my own version of what that man was going through. So there are all these little things that like I kind of knew I wasn't fully aligned. Um, so yeah, I, I think being a more of an intellectual, like I am a critical thinker. I do like having the answers to questions. I've just never been content with this. Well, some things we're just not going to understand in this, this life. Like, so polygamy, I think polygamy was probably the gateway drug for my my exit, as it is for a lot of, for a lot of people, right? You learn about it and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel good, but let me try to find a way to make it okay. And then it keeps coming back up and it keeps coming back up. And, you know, some people are able to just put it in the box every time it comes up and just say, mm, all right, but not me. I was like, what is the fucking deal with this? <laughs> fetching deal with this <laughs> so I, I started looking into that a little bit and I ended up I mean I don't remember exactly how it all went down because this was back in like I would say between 2004 and 2006 this was kind of my transition slash faith crisis so there was or as far as I know there was no ex-Mormon reddit at the time there wasn't like Instagram, social media, if podcasts existed back then, I didn't know about them. So there was 
there was literally nothing. There were like a few websites that, you know, like from my BYU approved housing, I was so scared, like typing things. <laughs> and then like, you know, the results pop up and you're like, okay, if I click on this, I'm pretty sure I'm venturing into anti-Mormon literature. And then part of me was like, are they going to know? Are they like, Ugh. why is the honor code office like monitoring my internet usage? Are they going to burst in here? I would literally like be so nervous. And if anyone ever knocked on the door, I'd be like, they're coming for me. Oh man. <laughs> so I'm like Googling things on the down low. And you know, at first it's, it's such like this shock to your system like that. I don't know. If, I don't know if it felt like this for you, but at first it was like denial, like, no, no, like this is so crazy. There's no way. And now I understand why you're not supposed to look at anti-Mormon websites because this is crazy. So at first I was like, no, 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 it can't be. And then my mind was just like, oh, but, but it probably is. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm not just going to rely on what the internet says. Of course, I'm going to do my own research. So I ended up going to the BYU library where I don't know if this is still true, but at the time you could, you could access and read the discourses of Brigham Young. They had like some volumes of it. Yeah, that's some real fucking crazy stuff. Like if you <laughs> mind blown with like the madness and the craziness, go to the discourses. I read that shit and I'm like, okay, this is coming straight from the source, straight from the man who this university is named after, a prophet of God. I was just like, done. Like this is fucking crazy. Well, he was he was a mess. Like he was uh, well, he led the church for the longest. Like he was the longest living prophet or whatever, right? Like um, I can't remember, but like I never read those, but I always heard like the don't read those because like I don't know. It felt like it was just like oh, that's deep doctrine. Like they just kind of like oh, he just got it really deep into stuff, so you just don't like really like get into it but it's like really they just knew what was in it so they're like no oh, that's gonna be like shake your faith so like don't do it you know like they don't say that but like they apply that and like the best part of all is Brigham like it's almost like Brigham knew people might write him off as crazy because he would full-on say this is doctrine this is this will always be this way this will never change this is what God says he would like almost literally say this isn't me speaking as a man. This is me speaking for God. Like, it's, like, right there. So it cannot be construed as, like, well, he was, like, a little bit crazy. Well, okay, well, if he was, then why was he speaking for God? Why are we, yeah. like, universities after him and honoring and revering him? Like, he was a fucking crazy, psycho, misogynistic, racist piece of shit. Feels really good to say that publicly. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm young. He's a terrible person. <laughs> um it's interesting the anti-mormon thing like the and just the fear the because i um like you said there was nothing back then like you didn't we didn't have the the ces letter hadn't i don't think it'd come out right when did that come out and then um going to any of that was like you just don't do that and i remember the fear of that like there was um on my mission i think there was somebody I can't remember there. There was because um, when you're on a mission, you do um, you do, you just move when you transfer. You'd move to a an apartment that's already set up for missionaries, or whatever, unless you open a new area. But like that's rare. 
So like stuff is left behind by other missionaries. And I remember finding a book, there was one on Scientology, which was interesting because I was in Clearwater, Florida, which was like a big place for Scientology. And um, which, <laughs> side note, we went down to their like little, like by their area, whatever. And the Mormons thought like, two Mormon missionaries thought that they were the weird ones. And I was like, really? Like, uh, you know, we're both kind of weird. So, but like, I was, I remember looking at them and being like, they're all wearing the same thing. They're all doing this. This this." isn't like, Oh, looking down at me. I'm like, "Mm -hmm. just going to keep driving. (laughs) (laughs) But there was this um, book in the, in one of the apartments that had in that apartment that had like, it was like anti-Mormon quote unquote. It was just like, but it was written by somebody that was locally that they had given this woman had written it and then given it to them. And it like, she had even a note in there. And like, we ended up, um, my companion like threw it out because it was like, this is anti-Mormon. And it just, yeah. And I was like low key, like interested in like just reading it. But I was just like, no, I better not. <laughs> but like, there's that fear too. Like that's yeah. Totally. Totally. And I was like, again, wanting to be seen as this good person, this like good Mormon girl. So, but you know, once I, once I jumped off the cliff and just kind of dove in, I was fully committed, just like doing all the research and yeah. So going back to the loneliness, oh my God, like that was one of the loneliest times in my life. Um, So I I actually was engaged to a, a Mormon man. Yes. I don't remember if we were engaged like at the time that I started this whole thing, but we were definitely engaged by the time I arrived at the place I am now. So, um, and yeah, so we, we ended up not getting married, but he was Mormon too. He was a return missionary. Um, amazing person. I know a lot of women have these stories of like Mormon men who were just horrible and treated them like shit. And I do have some of those stories, but not not with this, not with this guy. He was my, my best friend. We stayed best friends for years. However, he couldn't really like hold that information or go on that journey with me, which is, it's totally fine. Like I get that. And I, I never tried to like convert him or force him to know the things that I knew because I also knew how incredibly painful it was. And like, part of you was like, I don't want to be alone in this. I want everyone to know, but part of you is like, I want to protect you from the pain that I'm going through. So, yeah, so he couldn't really walk that path with me, but he was sort of like walking his his own path and reaching across and like holding my hand and supporting me. And he was the one person in this whole thing who was always there for me, never rejected me in any way or distanced himself from me. So so I definitely like want to include that in the story because he you know, continues to be a lifeline. We just spoke so much about attachment. He was probably one of the most, if not the most important attachment figures in my life because he was the attachment figure who loved and supported me when I was a Mormon and loved and supported me just as much unconditionally when I wasn't Mormon. And I don't don't really have a lot of, of other experiences of that. So having said that, it was still really hard navigating that, realizing that because our paths are not aligned, like this doesn't doesn't seem like we are compatible or can make a life work together. I know I don't want to stay Mormon. I know I don't want to stay in Utah. Something I didn't fully let myself acknowledge then that I have now is I also didn't want to have children. 
I didn't want that at all. In fact, when I was super Mormon doing all the Mormon things, I remember sort of having this mental countdown for myself. Like when you'd be in like your family ward, I'd look around at all the little kids crying and like the Cheerios ground into the <laughs> the carpet. I would have this feeling of overwhelm and like almost panic where I would think to myself, that's your future. Cause it literally never occurred to me that I could choose something differently. It's like, this is your path. It's all laid out for you. This is what it's going to be. And I would just think to myself, like, you know, when I was six, 16 years old, I'd be like, okay, I have probably like at least four years, you know, at least a good four years before I have to do this. And I'm just going to really try to enjoy that. And like garments, I would also be counting down like, oh, how many more years until I have to like wear this disgusting <laughs> underwear? Like, oh, did you ever feel that way? Oh, yeah. There was, um, well, like I've talked about before, that there's like uh, landmarks, there's milestones with the Mormon church. Like there's these, you know, you do the, you get baptized, you get um for the men, you get the priesthood, but for women, you do like the young women thing and you do the young women's medallion and all that stuff. And then you also, and then it's the mission. And then it's the, um, like all these things. You just like, you're, like you said, you're on a path. And like, for me, I was just like, it, it was always like in high school, like just talking about mission, you know, mission, 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 like college was just kind of a afterthought, but like mission was the thing, you know, like, of course I'm going to go on a mission, but then like, but what are you going to do for your education? Like, what are you going to do? That was never like, it was like, yeah. you can worry about that when you get home, when you're 21. Like, I'm like, eh. um, but then like the garments too, like, it's just like, that's like a rite of passage. Like as you, um, and you're, and I'm like, you go through the temple and you're just like, what the fuck did I just do? And I, um, I remember my mom asking me like, how do you feel like afterwards? And she was, I was like, uh, good, you know, and I was just like, eh. you know, gave her the right answer, but then I was like, inside, I was just like, I don't know, like, I'm just like, what the, what the fuck was that? Like, I don't, and now I have to wear these things for the rest of my life, you know, and I was just like, I don't, like, I just kind of felt trapped, like, I was just like, suddenly, like, okay, this is, that's when it really became clear to me, like, this is your path, then, like, this is, it's all been leading up to this, but then there's still like, there's still, you have to, this is where you're going and that trajectory is set for you. And maybe you don't want to go there. And like, especially for you. So wearing garments is one step closer to marrying a good Mormon woman and yeah. having to have sex with and be with that woman forever when you're gay. And that's yeah. fine. Why should you have to be on this path? So, yeah. okay. So you, so you get it. So, yep. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of that going on, but honestly, at first, I thought I could be, I, I guess the term is a, like a PMO. Is that what they call it? A Physical progressive. Out. The progressive Mar Mormon or whatever? Is that what you're. I, I don't know if it's that. I've seen this work on the socials. Again, I'm like somewhat new to the Exmo community, but physically and mentally out. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Okay which I, I think refers to people who are like, yeah, I know, I know it's all a lie. I know all the things, but it's, I just, again, I'm choosing connection over authenticity. So I kind of tried that for a little while and was like, okay, I can make this work. I can marry this man who I love and is like so amazing. And I can like do this Mormon life, but intellectually and spiritually, I know my truth. And like, I'm just going to 
make this work and that <laughs> that did not last long where I was like fuck no I can't do this this is hell um, but I, I was still at BYU so for the the rest of those I stretched it out into five years because I well I'm a lazy learner and <laughs> I an internship to prepare me for graduate school so it ended up being three more years beyond that that I had to kind of stick it out really? and that was hell so I was like yeah I definitely can't do this um, and I had like, so I had him and I had a best friend who I, I tried to talk to her about these things and she just completely shut down and was like, I cannot hear this. You sound like an anti-Mormon. You, you need to like pray. You need to go to church. And that was super painful. And I think that's kind of when I was like, okay, I'm just going to keep this all to myself. I don't think that I can get support. So far, the most important people in my life who I've tried to talk to have really shut it down and they can't go there with me and they don't want to go there with me. So I'm just going to have to get myself through this. Which, side note, that that same best friend just last year actually reached out to me and said, I'm so sorry for how I treated you. I've been doing my own research. I think she's kind of in a chemo place from what I can understand but she's like I didn't get it I wasn't there for you I totally did not give you what you needed and I'm so sorry which meant the world to me and honestly like I didn't hold any grudge whatsoever I mean we were like 20 years old like of course your kids of course she didn't know what to do with that information I completely understood but but that was really healing for me to have her reach out well and that goes to the attachment that we were talking about how maybe that was just her way of um like responding to that as far as like she was seeing you as like abandoning her maybe and like um and she just like shut that out so i don't know how is that right or (laughs) i definitely think yeah i definitely think all that comes into play and certainly for me so this this is where um attachment trauma comes in and like I don't I don't use that word lightly as a trauma therapist but attachment trauma is very real and for somebody leaving Mormonism or any of these other hide man religions slash cults like Jehovah's Witnesses where your family's encouraged to cut you off and never speak to you again that is such a massive amount of trauma specifically attachment trauma completely overwhelms the nervous system to know everything you ever believed like Sky Daddy and Jesus, who are constantly there looking out for you, your bishop, your friends, your roommates, your family, all of a sudden, all of that has changed. You no longer fit that. You're no longer who they need you to be. You no longer believe, or at that time, I just wasn't really sure, like, is there even a God at all? So traumatic. Ugh. It's your whole structure going, like, crumbling down, and you have to figure out where you stand from there. Like, taking that foundation away from you, like using their little, what's their, that song where they talk about like having a foundation built on sand or rock, like that going with that whole thing. The wise man built his, yeah. (laughs) In order not to use their whatever, but like, it is a good, I mean, a good analogy in that like, but yeah. then they also like, it's harmful because they're talking about like, Oh, but if you're, it's if, if you don't have a strong, there was a side note, there was a tweet. This guy was um, talking about how he didn't, he, like, a year after he had gone, gone home from his mission, he resigned from the church. 
and like a, like exactly a year and then like the gaslighting of that was like your foundation wasn't strong you're all these members saying like you didn't have a strong enough foundation and i'm just like yeah that just proves our point but also you're just like pointing out the obvious that like i don't have a foundation anymore like but i like just because i i lacked the quote-unquote faith that you supposedly think that i have whatever but like um but then it's completely ironic though yeah how could you have a firm foundation when you weren't given every you weren't given the full truth like that's what a solid foundation just piecemeal we're going to share this truth but not this one and this one but not Mm -hmm. this that's what is in a solid foundation building a solid foundation for yourself is being open to and taking in all of the facts and being willing to do whatever you need to do with that to rebuild a life. So no, I would, I would argue we were not given solid foundations at all. And those of us who got out have had to rebuild from the ground up and create a solid foundation for ourselves. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I'm glad your friend reached out to you again and was willing yeah. to have that conversation with you. And um, that's awesome. It takes courage to do that and to like, and um, I'm glad she sees, I actually had a similar experience where this, I can, the, I'm not to take what, but the, um, this missionary, the, the missionary buddy, the, um, sorry, I, he stopped talking to me after I came out and also the, uh, something about me going to the military, he stopped talking to me about, anyway, all these he said some really hateful things and then completely blocked me out of his life for 20 years and then he finally reached out to me and was like hey i've i'm a therapist now something like yeah he does like therapy and um he he was like i am so sorry for what i said to you like i just i'm um i'm now like a complete ally to the lgbtq community and like and he's fully into the church still but like he it's just I haven't yet responded, but like it's because um, I need processing, but like it's just, it meant a lot to me still. Like I'm just like, and um, I think about it a lot. Like I'm still just thinking about it, but just like the fact that he was able to recognize that is huge. So I'm glad it, but just like your friend, like the fact that she's, you know, come to that knowledge too and reached out to you. Absolutely. So people, People can change, and I, I kind of sensed that early on, like, okay, I'm going to be the pioneer. There is no one else in my world who isn't Mormon or has left. I mean, literally, there was no one, no one who wasn't Mormon, but I have a feeling that me doing this, eventually others will join me, and, like, that took, that took, like, 15 years, but, um, but yes, so in the absence of support in my existing support network, I reached out to a therapist. I saw my first therapist I will never forget her. Her name is Paige. She still practices from what I can tell. I sent her an email not too long ago and just said, like, what an important role she played in my life. And I specifically, like, I I was calling therapists. I didn't go to the counseling center at BYU. I had tried that for a minute and was like, this doesn't doesn't feel right. So I literally was calling therapists until I found one and was like, I need to know, are you a Mormon or not a Mormon? I know I need not a Mormon therapist at this point in my life. So found Paige. She was the first person in my life ever who ever told me it's okay to not be a Mormon. That's an okay choice. And you're still going to have a great life and you're still a good person. It's okay to do that. So simple, right? That's like the 
simplest terms you could possibly put it in, but like profound. Oh my God. Like that changed everything for me. And I, you know, she served as an attachment figure, a, a good therapist that you have a strong relationship with that can be a reparative attachment relationship. So she kind of got me through it. Um, you know, the situation with my family was bad. Like they, I didn't like officially ever like come out for, I, I don't know if that's like really the appropriate way to talk about it, but you know, disclose, I guess, like I'm officially not a Mormon. I kind of like incrementally tried to share it and it was just so badly received that it was clear. It was clear to me what was about to happen, that I was going to essentially lose most of my family, most of my community, my fiance and have to rebuild. So that was a lot, but y'all, y'all therapy works. Okay. Like thank, (laughs) thank God for therapy and having someone that could hold my hand through all of that. And again, even, even my fiance at the time, like, even though we decided to call for engagement, we stayed best friends. He was there with me every step of the way. So I, so I ended up just doing kind of a hard reset. So I knew I was going to go to graduate school. Um, I ended up going to Auburn university in Alabama had never, had never even been to the South. Wow. I was actually talk about a change, culture change. <laughs> I was like, well, let's just blow it all up. Like, <laughs> like I just, I was ready. I'm like that, that, that's it. Like complete and total life change. I'm ready. Like, let's just blow it all up. You know, I was like 22 years old. So I don't know. I don't know. But so that's what I did. I was actually recruited from BYU, from one of the professors, like he came, came to our class. He was this Tommy. He was a Southern guy. He was wearing shorts in the middle of winter in Utah. (laughs) He had the thickest Southern accent. He's like, I'm here to talk to y'all about a place called Auburn, Alabama. Y'all ever been? (laughs) Oh, who is this? Like this guy is so different. Um, and they only accepted six people into the cohort every year. So it was like very intimate, very like, so I'm like, that's it. This is my hard reset. So I drove, drove across the country with uh, the fiance at the time. Like, again, such a good person. He like drove me to Alabama, stayed with me a couple days, talked to me on the phone every single day for years, for years. Like oh, wow. came out and visited me. He yeah, I just I just can't say enough about how that attachment factored into this whole thing for me, like in the midst of all the trauma, having just like one person who believes in you and is there for you and can serve as a lifeline. Everything. I know not everyone has had that in their journey out, but I but I did. So I'm super grateful. Um, so anyways, but but, you know, but essentially once he took off, I'm there in Alabama in this like very foreign land. I didn't even visit the school before I accepted. I was just like fuck it, I'm going to Alabama. And it was, it was like something out of a movie, like the culture shock, like everything was new. But what I wasn't expecting and was like such this interesting little part of my story is because, because they had recruited from BYU and for whatever reason, they do that every year. They really like BYU students in this marriage and family therapy program. So there were six of us total. Three of us were from BYU and day one, we're sitting in a class with one of the professors, Margaret Kiley, who was amazing. She has since passed away, but just amazing woman, feminist, ally, progressive, liberal. She did not like Mormons. 
for all the reasons you could imagine. So she was like on it, like, so out of nowhere, we're sitting in class, the six of us, I'm like all nervous. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going to like start this out as like my new, like non-Mormon life. But I, I was still navigating, like I wasn't fully there. And she says, like, first thing she says is like, okay, okay. So you're all here. Welcome to the program. So which of you are from BYU? Raise your hand if you you came from BYU. And so I'm like, well, (laughs) raise our hand. And she's like, okay, so you're a Mormon. You're a Mormon. You're a Mormon. And the other two are like, and I don't say anything. She like points to me last and I'm just frozen. I did not expect that I'd be put in this position. Oh, wow. And it's uncomfortable because half half of my cohort, the people I'm about to be immersed with for the next two years are Mormon. They're from BYU. And I hadn't navigated with that with them. The other two were never Mormon. So, but I'm, so I'm, I'm not like quite like them. I'm still more Mormon ish than not Mormon in terms of like what I know and how I live. So I'm just frozen. And she's like, well, are you a Mormon or are you not a Mormon? Like, don't you know? And I was like, I just kind of stumbled over my words and was like, um, no, not actually not really. And she just like, hmm. <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> two the other two Mormons are looking at me like, what? It was um, it was a lot. Yeah. I can't even imagine. I, I love that she was just kinda like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> Oh, yeah, man, man. it's pretty cut and dried usually. So, so that was my big, I guess, my like official, like, okay, I guess I'm publicly coming out and going on the record. Honestly, that was probably the best thing because it didn't put me in a position to try to like pretend with my, you know, fellow Mormons, like, oh, I'm still Mormon, even though I, I think I did go to church with them maybe like once or twice, just to try to be like, yeah, like I want to be friends with you, but I'm gonna do my own thing. So. I think it was a little bit easier that they kind of knew me right from the start as not really a Mormon, that they were able to be more accepting. And and those were two people who actually were like very supportive, very loving towards me. I still think there was a little bit of like the othering, but but at least it wasn't a change from like a relationship and how it used to be. So so that happened. And so then I was in this awkward position of like in this program. So there was a like a bigger program beyond this graduate program where again there were a lot of mormons and there were a lot of not mormons and everyone wanted to know so like so are you mormon or are you not i was like this this like enigma that everyone wanted to yeah (laughs) so so i just decided okay well i'm trying to leave behind my mormon life like i'm gonna put it all away i'm gonna compartmentalize it all the pain all the everything and i'm just I'm going to present myself into the world as, no, like, I'm not a Mormon. I'm, like, super not a Mormon. I'm just like all of you, even though I didn't even know who I was or what any of that meant. So so when this, you know, the larger graduate program class all went to happy hour, like, get to know you, happy hour, welcome to grad school, let's hang out. I was like, yeah, I'll definitely come because I'm not Mormon, so of course I'll come. I had never even been in a bar, like, <laughs> I had never set foot in a bar. I never had alcohol and I had no fucking clue what to do. I'm like freaking out on the inside, but on the outside, I'm like, oh yeah, like let's have a drink. But I'm like, what? <laughs> oh my God, this is really happening. So I had no idea what to do. I had no idea like what to drink or how to order. So I just like followed some girls up to the bar. I just kind of like stood behind them and listened to what they ordered. 
which were white Russians. So oh. I'm like, yeah, I'll have a white Russian. Proceeded to drink white Russians for like two years after that because I, d- I didn't know what else. <laughs> I didn't know what else to drink. It's funny because uh, the I had let's see I was in I can't even remember my first bar I think my first bar was like in Idaho but like I think the first time I actually had to order for myself was in San Diego but this was before I was in the Navy but like um I went up and I ordered a screwdriver because I had just heard about that and that's like all I ordered and I always got these weird looks from the bartender like a screwdriver like who what like <laughs> because you hear about that on the movies and I'm like oh the screwdriver like it's orange juice and, mm, you know and I just say like, oh this is good you know like, you just kind of like I gotta fit in somehow you know and just like I don't know yeah I totally get you but why Russians oh man <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> I was like okay I guess I guess I can handle this I mean it can wasn't you drink a... them now though is another question are you able to mm, I can't no, I... do screwdrivers anymore no, I don't drink much at all anymore, but I would be a margarita. So, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it was this very weird thing of trying to reinvent myself and, like, present myself as who I wanted to be, but who I wasn't yet. And, again, all of this in isolation, no Exmo community, no one telling me, like, oh, yeah, I've, I've been there, too. So I, I always felt like this alien like this complete weirdo who didn't fit in anywhere I didn't fit in with the Mormons anymore but I also didn't fit in with the never Mormons it was like no one could understand me but again I just like like I'm putting it all away I'm just gonna try to move on and it's at some point during graduate school my my mom and I like stopped talking had a falling out there was it was kind of like on again off again relationship but but as of now I haven't spoken to her in five or six years we kind of had to reach a point of like could not respect my boundaries did not add any value to my life no support of any kind and instead was just so much criticism and so much how could you do this why would you do this so yeah so I, I found found my community and you know the, the people that took care of me after that after losing everything and everyone were gay men and the black women that I met there yeah. Two people who are groups of people marginalized by the church. Those are the people who took care of me, who were always there for me and, you know, continue to be. So that was real interesting. It was very, very interesting to me. And I'm so grateful for my experience going to Auburn because I was exposed to things I would never have been exposed to otherwise, like being in the deep South, not just reading about or hearing about racism, but like seeing it, witnessing it. The only time I've ever been violent towards another human being and like put hands on someone is when someone used the N-word in front of me and like not not in a joking way, not that that would be okay either, but like she full on explained to me, no, this is how I mean it. This is how I mean it. And I like, completely lost it. I won't I won't go into it. No arrests were made. <laughs> okay but it was like a seeing red moment where I like left my body and was just like I want to physically hurt you so yeah anyways so all of that um and I guess another piece of that like going along with the attachment stuff is it was it was so painful but I didn't even fully understand that what I was experiencing was trauma like didn't fully understand it I mean I'm learning how to be a therapist there's still so much you don't know when you go to therapy school 
<clears throat> excuse me. So, yeah, I think I ended up in like a lot of toxic relationships because it's like, okay, well, anything is better than nothing. And, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not, you're nodding hard. I'm nodding. So, be, yeah, because I totally, I get it, but. <laughs> Right. It's like, okay. And you're used to being treated like, oh, not so well. So like high demand, high control religions. I feel like until you've worked through that, you're likely to end up in other high demand, high control relationships, jobs, situations in general, friend circles. You're not, again, Jake's nodding. <laughs> very much nodding because I'm just like, oh, because I've, I've listened, I've, I've been thinking about this, like, um, cause I, I left the church pretty much I was like a PMO like before I joined the Navy and then I um and I had come out like I would and then I was after boot camp and my tech school I came out to my parents and then it just was like this gradual like releasing of that but like finding your you know um but like joining the Navy after like being in the you know like I went from one high demand place to another and the, the structure of that, like, and that I needed that apparently or something, I think, but I don't think I did that on purpose. Like in my, like it wasn't a conscious decision, like, Oh, I'm going to join the Navy because I don't have the structure anymore. It was like, I'm, I think I just needed that, that structure again. So I just was like, I am going to, I'm going to throw myself into something else. That's also high demand. And then I also see it in my relationships, like you were saying, like, I just, I definitely have been in situations like my ex where, where it was just like high demand and high control and just like, and even, even as far removed as I am from the church, it's still just like, it's something that's built in me that I just need that. And that's, I've had to like step away from dating for a while because I'm just like, I got to figure my shit out. Like there's something I'm, and that's part of why I'm, doing the podcast and why I'm like, I've been starting to do my own research and like figuring myself out as far as um, that goes. Cause like, I'm a little bit similar with you. Like I kind of compartmentalized stuff a lot. And then I've like, it's been years since I've had to like actually face this head on. So I totally understand where you're coming from there, but on your point with like um, being somewhere where like in the Navy, like I was, I was kind of ashamed to tell people I was a Mormon, like that I used that I grew up Mormon because like, first of all, you get this weird look, like there's, as you probably know, like you just get this like, oh, you know, like they put all these, these formulate these opinions about you and you don't want, yeah. I didn't want that put on myself. So 100%. I just, um, I would, I held that back as much as I could, unless I was like a closer friend with you, like, and I could be like, and then the biggest payoff for me was though, and like people would, and lately, especially is like people would find out that I was raised Mormon and they look surprised. And I'm like, thank God, thank <laughs> God. I'm finally moving past that. You know, like they, cause like in the, in the Navy, they were still like that, like there's something different about me because there was still that, like, I still had a lot of things about me that were very Mormon, you know? And I just, I was awkward at bars. I was awkward with like, talking with other people you know I just was I didn't know how to because in the church you're just you have especially growing up in Utah and Idaho you have that built-in social like you can talk about the church if anything else if nothing else you can talk about the church with somebody and, and it's totally a relatable experience but then like in when you don't have that to relate 
to somebody, you have to find other re- other ways to relate to them. And then um, I was like, uh, I'm just like, well, the Navy, I can talk about the Navy, you know, but like nobody wants to talk about the Navy, like in the when you're in the Navy, because it's just like, that's your 24 hour thing. So then I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't work. So then I had to come up with other ways to to relate to them. And then, uh, and also like being the only out gay man on a ship and I'm just like, not even knowing who I am, you know, I'm just like, huh, interesting. This is a whole, whole other layout. You know, I don't even know what to do here. And then, um, but then finding those support systems is kind of, it's, it's, it's interesting because you find little niches within those, just as like you do in the church, I guess, but like, um, like it's interesting to navigate that, but I just, I, uh, I always like say it with hesitancy. Like I, yeah, my family's all Mormon. I was raised Mormon. And now like, I just had a conversation with a coworker where I just went off on like, like I told her that she was surprised that I grew up Mormon. And then she was like, she's like, I always thought they were weird. And I was like, She's like, I'm sorry. Like, she immediately was just like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say that. And I was like, no, 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 honey. You don't, you're like, <laughs> same. <laughs> yeah. No, oh. I, I relate to everything you just said, like, so, so much. Like, the shame and not wanting to be like, oh, like, minimize your Mormon background. I, I did that for like 15 years and was like, no, I'm like, I'm not weird. I'm a normal person. And it would, sometimes it would be like an anecdote at parties, like, oh, yeah, I grew up Mormon, but I would again, minimize everything and try to reinvent myself. And now, as I've recently in the past year or so, like really been working hardcore through some of this, now I can talk about it in a different way and like can kind of just own it. It's like, yeah, this is what makes me unique. Yeah, 100% I grew a Mormon. Yes, there is a Brigham Young diploma hanging on my wall. Like I've addressed it publicly and with my clients, whereas before I tried to like hide it or just not talk about it. And now I'm like, this is part of my story. It's actually a huge part of my story. Like it's, it's been really hard. It's been a journey. This is who I am. It's what makes me unique. That's why I'm here talking to you about it. So yeah. So, so fast forwarding. So I kind of, you know, got through life. I worked, worked for the military as you did. I, my job was the person. So when you said you were getting trained and they're telling you what consent was, my job was like the trip, the trainer. I was the civilian person that did that full time, got super burnt out on that. Moved you were think- in, were you in Pensacola when you did that or, okay, because I have a special heart, special place in my heart for the San Diego um, victim advocacy, like, program there, because I thought it was very robust and very, it was just, that's where I got my training, but I was just like, um, it was just one of the, like, they were some huge advocates for, like, victims and for, um, like, all that, so I learned a lot there, but. Yeah, yeah, so I, I learned a lot as well, uh, but it was still in the context of the deep south. I mean, Pensacola is like lower Alabama, they called it. So there, yeah, oh, yeah. I still didn't feel like there was as much freedom to explore like issues around the queer community, but we, we did the best we could. Um, so yeah, so and I've been, again, been estranged from my family for like 15 years, more or less. There are a few people... My entire mom's side of the family, there's just one person I speak to, not my mom. That's like, they're all really difficult relationships. Other side of the family, I have maybe like two people. So my friends have really become my community. However, in the past year, 
Um, so there was that friend that reached out to me and then I actually have two step siblings, step sisters. They very recently in the last couple months reached out to me and said, we're leaving the Mormon church where we want to come to San Diego and come visit you. We had a whole weekend together. I was so nervous about it because, you know, when you when you put things in the box and you put it away and you don't open it, that was everything for me. It was family. It was the Mormon stuff. I And I honestly believed, even though I'm a therapist, for God's sakes, but like I'm still a human being. Don't think for a second that therapists have it all figured out. We do not. Don't let anyone tell you. Please. But like that's it didn't hit me until then. Like, oh, my God, I have actually bypassed all of this stuff. Like I keep telling myself I've left it behind. I'm OK. That was my narrative for so long as part of not wanting to be seen as weird. I would tell people oh, I'm totally fine. They'd hear about my situation and be very distressed. Like, wait, you like lost all your family and friends or like, you know, most, most of them like that's, that's terrible. Like they couldn't handle it. And people would push me to reconnect with my mom. Like, I'm sure you'll work it out. So I just like adopted this, this way of saying, oh no, like it's completely fine. I'm completely fine. This is all fine. Like it's, it's good. It's healthy. I'm glad where I am. Even when it wasn't true, it's more true now but for the majority of the last 15 years, that hasn't been true at all. I wasn't fine. Going back to attachment, none of us who have lost close family relationships, friend relationships, community attachment figures, none of us are fine. We're not okay. And that doesn't mean that we are doing the wrong thing or we're going down the wrong path. And that's why we feel lonely. Loneliness and all the negative emotions are a natural part of your belief system crumbling, loss of relationships, loss of love and connection. So, yeah. So, so when they came back into my life, I realized so quick, okay, I can't, I can't engage with them and be with them like without opening all of it up. It all just came flooding in. So hence me diving into this Exmo community that I didn't even really know existed and learning like, oh my God, there are so many podcasts. There are so many people. There are groups. I'm no, I'm no longer alone. And it's kind of like I'm rediscovering it all over again for the first time. That's awesome. I, um, I, like, I didn't know that. And I think it's just been the last few years that it's become more prevalent. Like the Exmo community has become more visible to, and I think people are more willing to reach out and be a support system because we do recognize that uh, we need that from each other and who who better else to know what we're going through than people that are also that have also left and have lost that support system and Absolutely. yeah I like Instagram has been huge um, podcasts have been huge for me I yeah it's it's a journey though but like it's interesting that like now I don't even blink twice about like looking at quote-unquote anti-mormon stuff whereas like old you know me 20 years ago would have been like oh no how dare you you know like <laughs> memes have helped me so much oh my oh, god yeah. memes are like the <laughs> it's something i didn't have back then when i was going through it because it's like normalizing the crazy shit you you've gone through and that you know but like in a funny way and like mm-hmm. in a appealing ways so like honestly exmo memes are they're healing hence you know i started so i started an exmo account 
um, live, laugh, apostatize. That's me. <laughs> and it was not to interact with other people and less to put the content out there. But that's that's like how I found my community. I mean, I live in Southern California now, so it's unlikely I'm just going to bump into another ex-Mormon. So, yeah. So that's that's my story. I mean, that's yeah, that's part of my story in a nutshell. And um, oh, thank you for sharing that. That was um I think that'll resonate with a lot of people. It definitely resonates with me. I was, um, I'm just like thinking about, it's bringing back a lot of my um, freshly, when I was in San Diego and like all that, like being in the Navy and stuff and like still trying, like I was navigating not only, you know, being out of the church, but also being a gay man and um, finally like living that truth. And so it's just interesting to see how, where I am now compared to then. And I, I do, I definitely think obviously like it takes time obviously to, to get, and I'm still working on it still. There's still things where I'm just like, I have interactions with people where I'm like, Oh, that's like, they'll be talking about college days where it's like, Oh, this is, I got so drunk and all that. I did some crazy shit on my college days. I'm like, I can't relate because like, really I didn't do much crazy shit in <laughs> BYU Idaho, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know, it, but like you said, it's what makes you unique, and um, I think embracing that. I had, I'm glad that you said that because I, I think I'm coming to that point. I don't know if I'm there yet, but I am coming to that point where I'm like, yeah, I embrace it. And I, I think that conversation with my coworker was very pivotal for me, and that I, and I'm going to be thinking about that a lot because it was the first time I was very casual and owning my Mormon background, but also like owning that I, I recognize the faults in it, and that I'm. Um, I used to like laugh about my Mormon background as, but like, like you said, minimizing it. And like, I would make jokes, like, um, like people would be like, they talk about the college days. I'm like, Oh, I went to Mormon school, so I can't relate. But like, I don't even know, like I had my first drink in when I was in my twenties and people were like, they look at me like, what, really? You don't know? Like, like we had our first drinks when we were like, uh, like teenagers. And I'm like, cool. Cool. And then, but then it's also like, um, I related obviously to the being gay, but like, um, you comp, like, there's this book called The Velvet Rage, which I think, um, he's obviously talking about the, about the gay, gay male experience, like, and how you compensate in society for, like, to make up for how society sees you. And so, and that's why gay men act the way they do. And, um, I read that book so fast, so I would highly recommend that to anybody, but like, um, and not even like, I feel like it's like everybody like compensates for something, you know, like for the, and I think that in your story, you you were compensating for your, um, your upbringing and for, and like trying to fit in. So you would make little, and I think you would make, um, Anyways, for me, I would make little negotiations with myself as far as like, I'd be like, well, I can, you know, compromises too and compromises of your boundaries. So you would let people do things that you probably wouldn't normally do, let them do, you know, like, um, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, sorry, say it again. It kind of cut out. Yeah. In exchange for that, that belonging and acceptance, you're, mm -hmm. you'll do whatever it takes, right? Mm-hmm you'll do yeah do whatever i i think one of the things that you said was um all that it really i liked was uh do things to 
get the love like to i'm going to take whatever piecemeal love i can take because i've i don't have any like i don't have um, something better than nothing it's survival something is better than nothing yes that's what you said i was um and that's resonated in all my relationships really not just my like love relationships but like with familial relationships and stuff like that so it's interesting that you yeah I hadn't thought about it that way so I hope I'm pretty sure this will resonate with a lot of listeners and um so I'm appreciative of appreciative of you being vulnerable and finally sharing your story publicly which is I'm sure cathartic for you but um it, it feels good. It feels good. It feels good to have this conversation with you. And, you know, I I just respect you so much for like one for the strength and the courage that you've had to do everything you've done, make all the hard decisions for telling your story, which I heard first on the Not So Molly Mormon podcast and was like, oh, I love him so much. <laughs> you had your own, and I, uh, I just think you're such a such a good person. I actually wrote you a review, and the title of the review was "The Friend That We All Need," and oh. I feel like that's that's so true. You're an amazing, wonderful, genuine, authentic person, and you're doing good things by putting this out there. Oh, thank you. That's means a lot sorry i don't know what to, i get all of the, <laughs> i get a little flustered when people <laughs> comment compliment me but i know it's okay thank you for accepting it graciously so <laughs> maybe this would be a good time for me to ask like my little questions for you yeah sure okay so this will totally fits with our whole conversation but how does this exmo community support you like what do you get out of out of this community what helps you the most Oy, um, so I've been, I mean, you gave me these questions beforehand, but I still haven't. Um, the Exmo community, so when I was, um, I'm kind of like you that I, uh, like I've talked about before, where I've just like now heading, st- taking this on, you know, and um, it's become a support system that I need, you know, as far as that, but I, it's helped me, um, like, I still have moments where I'm like, what the f- like I find out I still find out new things about the church I'm just like what well, I had no idea about this you know and I didn't know about that part in history and it's stuff that like just keeps coming up and I'm like I it's like it just um shows to me that it's going to be a lifelong journey of um of processing this and like figuring out where I stand with it and obviously like I've already I'm building up a foundation like we've talked about like I'm building up a who I am and formulating that but like I think that's what it is it's helped me discover myself more and I've made some really incredible connections like you with there's Dusty the Katie and Sarah from Not So Molly Mormon like there's just been some really incredible connections that I've made that I probably otherwise wouldn't have made and I think having that um, I've also been able to have conversations as far as like I've been able to see things, my patterns with my family and stuff and with my relationships better in a different way that I think is a little healthier. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> that makes complete sense. Complete sense. And then, okay, so what, what do you think you need from your support system in general right now, which doesn't have to be limited to the Exmo community, but what do you, what do you need to feel supported right now? Cause you work so hard to support others. Um, 
so it's interesting because uh, I got out of the Navy and I've, that's another like identity, you know, like it's uh, when you're in the military, especially like you just, you, you formulate your identity around that. And it's something that they do on purpose, you know, because you have this, you have a common cause and um, I've had another, structure go away and i've had to like in the past couple of years i've been out for two years and i'm i've had to like rediscover myself in a different way who am i without the church and without the military because like those things are um both parts huge parts of my identity that I carried with me throughout even in the navy i carried my mormonism with me and so and now i'm like i don't have either of those so like i think the my support system has has become the Exmo community, but like, um, I've talked to, uh, I had a, one of my best friends, she moved away to Texas, you know, and I, I had last year during COVID and all that, we had hung out all the time and she moved and it was a really abrupt change for me. And I was, I didn't realize how much I relied on her as like a, as an an attachment. She became an attachment figure. And I didn't think about that until I literally like that's it as I said it, like she was, um, I, I think I, as far as needing what I need for my community now is like, I guess just continue, like continue to, I don't know, being there connecting, like, don't be, don't be afraid to reach out to me. Um, I'm always willing to talk. I'm always willing to have those conversations, even if you want to just bullshit. Like I love that we have, um, we have this connection now and we um i love that you like started the the conversation about talking about san diego and like where we you know building those um the commonalities so that was good um yeah if you i'm here i'm an open book but like in denver like i guess the the point i was making like i live in denver i'm like in the middle of literally in the middle of the country as middle as you can get and i just um i sometimes i feel very lonely you know and i I don't know what to do with that. Like there's been some situations in my life recently where I've had some complete upheavals and I'm dealing with that, but I, um, I don't throughout it all. I feel very optimistic for some reason. And I don't know if I really don't know why (laughs) I don't know if that's just me, my personality, but I'm just like, I can make this, I can do this, you know, everything will be fine. But I think it comes back to like, that I just feel supported no matter, even if I don't have those direct connections with people, I do feel like there's people that are willing or that have my back. So that's, that's huge for me. So um, I want to thank anybody that's like a silent supporter. I, I, I feel your, your strength and there's people that are out there that have reached out to me and been like, thank you so much for, the podcast and for doing it so um i think that's supporting me by supporting i don't know by continuing yeah. that support you know doesn't make sense <laughs> it makes complete sense yeah thank, thank you for sharing all of that. that that's really insightful and i think you can absolutely trust <clears throat> sorry i'm losing my voice been been talking through a cold recovery yeah <laughs> uh, you can absolutely trust your resilience and like the person that you have cultivated within yourself, yes, you are always going to have support. You are capable of making connections. You are going to be okay. What, one of the things that has helped me, and I think helped a lot of us who have had major attachment trauma, is I've come to the realization there may not 
be any one, two, three, four people who are consistently there for me my whole life. But there have always been people there for me when I needed them. There's always someone, someone always steps up. I don't, I no longer think like, oh, that's like God or the universe looking out for me. I think that's, that's me. That's because of what I've cultivated. I'm capable of giving and being a good friend. And as long as I put myself out there and make connections, I know that I can get that back. So that's me trying to work towards earned secure attachment, we would call it earned secure, meaning you weren't secure, but you worked really hard to get it. Um, so, okay. So before I forget, I want to put out there a resource for anyone who's, if they've made it this far and they're interested in attachment, there's a book I recommend. Maybe we can like link this in the show notes or something. Um, but the book is called Attached, uh, colon, The Science of Adult Attachment. The author is Amir Levine, and it's probably the single best read on attachment. Pretty, It's general, but it also gives you a little bit more than we talked about here for sure. Um, and my clients love it. It is like the most beloved favorite book. I get emails from clients like years later saying, oh my God, like I'm married now. And I've shared this book with so many of my family and friends. Like this book changed my life. Oh, all right. Um, well, I'm going to have to read that. <laughs> um, I, let's see, there was, I think, so something you said was, um, I think in the, like, in the church, we're geared to, like, not take responsibility for the good things in our life, too. Like, um, and I think that goes to, like, what you were saying, like, uh, our resilience and, like, relying on ourself. And, like, um, we think that, like, oh, they were healed, like, from this disease or whatever because of God. But, no, it was, it was science, you know, like, putting those – and it was the doctors that worked their asses off to get those, you know, to do that and to – have your treatments and all that stuff and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and that's um and putting that filter of like of god in there's is um i mean it works for some people but like for me um finding that i am responsible for my journey is is huge like it's just and it's a little scary at times i'm like oh there's like you know those memes where it's like looking for an adult to your adults around, you know, like, I'm just, like, <laughs> like, I definitely resonate with that. I'm like, oh, sometimes I'm like, oh, I have to make that decision. But then I'm like, you know, there's strength in, in being able to make that choice for yourself and then navigating your own path. And I think the church uh, gives you that crutch, but like um, not having that crutch makes you a, a stronger person. I'm not saying that people that are in churches or whatever aren't strong, but like, I think that there's a beauty in, being resilient and being um, self, um, self, I, it, like what is that self-aware? Like the being um, and having that, yeah, that depth. So locus of control, like good, good or bad, I do have an impact on how my life goes. So yeah, yeah, there's tremendous value in that, and it's really hard. What we've done is really hard. You, me, probably the majority of people listening. Like high fives to all of us. Pat, pat yourself on the back. This is so hard. This is so incredibly hard. It takes intelligence, integrity, authenticity, being able to go through periods of loneliness. We've all been through a lot and I'm super proud of, of all of us. I'm proud of me. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of everyone listening. We're doing yes, it. We're doing it. We got it. I think that's a good note to 
to end on but thank you so much we'll have you back for sure and we have a um i mean there's even just in that conversation they were like oh, that's something else we could delve into and there's we already have a another idea for something else we're going to talk about in another future episode so it'll be a little more on the lighthearted side so 